talk about storms, storms of life. This morning I've asked Cindy Klein, Cindy and Pierre. Pierre is back there. If you raise your hand, Pierre. Cindy and Pierre are some of our beachgoers. And Cindy, I asked you just a few days ago if you would be willing to share a little bit about your own storm in your life and, uh, and what happened and what God's been doing in your life as a family and as a couple and how God has been in your life through this, this remarkable storm that you have experienced. So please tell us a little bit about it, would you? Thank you. Hi. Um, so my husband, Pierre, and I, we've been together for 31 years. And we have five children, one left in the house. Well, two, but one still in grade school or in school. And, um, you know, we've spent some time over the last couple of years really thinking about what's in our future and what's it going to be like to not have children underfoot all the time. And we've started making plans and getting very excited about those plans. And so we were very unprepared for what happened to us uh, not long ago, about a little over a year ago, five days before Christmas. Um, Pierre, as always, took a walk at lunch. Um, he did this every day. And he was struck by a vehicle. And he suffered a traumatic brain injury. He was in a coma for two weeks. And when he woke up, he did not remember who any of us were. He couldn't speak. And when he did start speaking, it was gibberish. Uh, couldn't understand him. He was very confused. And someone had explained to me, it was like, your brain is a file cabinet. And when it gets knocked out, all the files spill out all over the place in complete and total disarray. And so it takes time for the brain to go through those files and pick them back up and put them back into your head. But after a couple of weeks of this, nothing was moving, nothing was happening. So it was clear that Pierre was going to need some additional caring for. So we found a place in Bakersfield to take him, wonderful place, uh, Center for Neuroskills. And five weeks after his accident, we were transitioning him there. And the doctor that was in charge of him at the time pulled me aside and said, you know, Cindy, I know that you want to give Pierre the best possible care that you can, and I understand that, but you have to realize he's not going to get any better, and this is going to be your life, and you need to prepare yourself for that. And needless to say, I was very upset and uh, very angry, and angry a lot at God, but at the same time, I was also very thankful that I had God in my life, because... I don't think we could have walked through this without having him. So Pierre started his journey over there, and not soon after that, we had another tragedy hit our life. Our older daughter passed away. Uh, we knew she was ill before his accident, but it was still shocking that she passed away so quickly. And so he was not in the place that we could even tell him about it at that time, and we needed to go through her death and her funeral without him, which was very hard. And it was another two months before we could actually tell him. And finally in May, he was released, so five months after he was able to come home. But it was still very different. Um, you know, unfortunately, he was not the same man. He was still healing. He, um, you know, he was somebody who obviously supported our family. He did all the bills. He did all the investing. He kept us in line with his jokes and his logic, and uh, that was no more. And instead, he was somebody who needed 24-hour care, who could not take care of himself. He didn't even know how to turn on the TV. And, um, but, you know, through the months, he has 
continue to heal. And, and those files that, you know, were out there in all disarray have slowly started bringing themselves back. They've started putting them in, the, in his head. And, and um, I was thinking not long ago about how different our family looks right now compared to how it looked prior to the accident. We're a very different family. And, um, but one of the best things that came of this, you know, you have to look at good things, which you do, um, is that Pierre found God. And this is the first time in our whole 31 years that we have ever been able to share faith together. And so that has been an incredible journey for us. And I'm just thankful every day that he's with us and doing well. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for sharing your story. You know, I, I first met up here um, several months ago, and, and it, it's to the, at the beach this morning. I was saying, well, okay, Cindy, you get about three minutes to share your whole life story. So here, the most tragic thing in your life, and you get three minutes. And it seems so unfair, but um, we've got to get to the text and see what Jesus has to say about storms. But uh, then I turned to Pierre, and Pierre looks at me, and, and he says, well, I'm only going to be six minutes. So I love the fact that your humor has returned, your sense of humor, Pierre, and, and um, God is a continuing work in your family, and it is wonderful to see how this event in your life has brought the two of you together and brought you back into faith and confidence in the Lord, and now the healing is, is happening, and you're beginning to see these windows of, of light come into your life, and so we're, we're um, thanking the Lord for that. Well, I know that many of you have been through a storm in your life, and I suspect that's probably true that when a psychologist says you touch any home, it bleeds. That there's a storm raging, or will rage, or has raged. In almost every one of our lives, it's just inevitable. Storms are inevitable. And so I want to begin a series this weekend, and I want to continue this series up through Easter. And I want to talk about hardship and difficulty with you. And I want to look at the fact that that the pain that a storm or a difficulty or hardship brings leads us into the presence of God. And when you find yourself in the presence of God, you find great comfort. And in that comfort, joy. And so that will be our series for the next four weeks. And this morning we're going to start with this idea of pain. Pain is uh, pain's a difficult thing because pain is the manifestation of the problem. And in Mark chapter 4, if you have your Bibles open or if you have a text in front of you, you, you'll, you'll see that it's a very short text, and it's a very short event. It happens very quickly. And yet i got to believe for the disciples it didn't happen quickly. I believe that um, it probably was something that would live on throughout their whole lives. And we learned several things about storms in this passage. But as we think about a storm, I think uh, we have to start with the idea that it it's like what what, what one writer, Ernest Becker, says in a book he wrote called Denial of Death. And he's writing to a Western culture. And in Western culture, our philosophy is that we try to avoid pain and suffering and death at all costs. We just don't have the mindset of entering in and trying to figure out what's the meaning, what's the purpose, what's behind all this. We just want to get through it as quickly as possible. And Ernest Becker says, I think that taking life seriously means something like this. That whatever man does on the planet has to be done and lived in truth of the terror of creation. Of the rumble of panic underneath every...
everything. There's a rumble of panic under everything that we experience. Otherwise, it is false. There's something comforting and terrifying by the fact that you and I will live our lives with a rumble of panic underneath everything. And I think that's what this passage teaches us. The challenge in this passage is not so much that these disciples discovered that they were in the middle of a storm, but it would be that they would have to figure out that Jesus was in the boat with them and what Jesus does in the middle of the storm. And it's not so much that you will go through a storm, it's what you will do in the middle of the storm. Where will you put your confidence? How will you react? What are you going to do? And so I want to look at several things, and I just want to rattle through them here. I just want to um, kind of tick them off one at a time and talk about some of the things we learn about a storm. And the first thing we learn about a storm in this passage is that a storm is very personal. It's personal to you because it's your story. Notice in this passage the amount of detail that the disciples describe 40 years after the event. They begin to now sit down and write out the actual event. Forty years after the event, it was evening. Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And there were other boats, as they recall. The fierce storm, the waves. Jesus asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat, waking him, frightened. He stills calms the storm and the waves, and they're rebuked. And they remember every single detail. And the first thing that I learn about a storm is that it's very personal. It's personal to you because it's your, your storm. It's your personal storm that God is taking you through in life. And one of the challenges is, is to get it down, write it, record it somewhere. I have spent um, years writing down my stories in journals. I carry a journal around, and I've been writing in journals, and I have tons of them filled out of the kinds of stories, that storms that God has taken me through that have become stories. I left the beach this morning, and Anne Dean came up to me, and her husband, Joe Dean, is bedridden, bed sores. His body is just slowly, slowly shutting down. And his years lived years of his life in pain and anguish and uncertainty and difficulty. And one of the things that she heard me say this morning is that she needs to sit down and write out her story. Don't ever minimize your story. The disciples did not minimize this event, but it became an important part of who they would become. And they wrote it down. And they wrote their story up. And she said, I need to start writing out my story. Yes, you do. You need, and every one of us needs to write out our story because it's important to you. Don't ever minimize. Why? Because God never wastes a pain in your life. And he wants you to remember it. He wants you to know every event. As I spent several months in this last season of my life struggling through an uncertain kind of illness, turned out to be diverticulitis, and treated by antibiotics, it should have gone, gone away, should have should have disappeared in about a week. Well, it came back. It, it, with raging power and force in my life, it was treated five times, six times with antibiotics. It just wouldn't go away. Finally, surgery. And I can remember every day 
I can remember every event. I can remember what God was teaching me, what God was saying. I remember the, the storm raging in my life. And God wants to use that in my life as he wants to use the storm that you're going through in your life. C.S. Lewis said that we were promised sufferings. They were part of the program. We were even told, blessed are those who mourn. And I accept it, Lewis says. I've, I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for, he says in his book, Grief and Serve. But of course, it's different when the thing happens to oneself. And I love the honesty. It's one thing to read a story about somebody else's pain and suffering. It's another when it actually comes knocking at your door. And the challenge is when we write it down, we remember it. And I want to challenge us as we think about the storms in our lives. Record it. Remember it. Remember the details because God wants to speak into your storm. And that's what we're going to find out in this passage. Cheryl Sandberg, Chief Financial Officer of Facebook. I think she was either working for Google or Yahoo, one of the two, and her husband was working for the other company, and they got married, and, and um, he suddenly died. They were on a vacation in Mexico, and was down in the gym, and uh, dropped dead. And she writes the book, Option B, and it's the story of her life. She recalls one day after Dave passed away that she was preparing her son for a father-son event, and she says to her friend, I sure wish Dave was here. And her friend said to her, well, that's option A, and that's not possible anymore. But there's an option B. There's an option B. And option B became her story of how she was able to manage storms of life from this point forward in her life through her relationship with her friends. And the book is about how many people came around her and helped her through the many challenges of life. And I love the story of this because it says, let us, that is all of us, the disciples, Jesus, with his disciples, we're going to go through this together. And I think not only is there a challenge for you and I to write our own story down, but it's also to listen, listen to other people's stories. We, we were just recently with the group and we had dinner and and the hostess, we finished our dinner, said, well, let's go around and share what's happened since the last time we've seen one another. And I looked around the room and said, well, it's not Now, it's going to take a while. And afterwards, driving home, what I recall is uh, how revealing that was to hear everybody talk about their own personal story. And to remember the detail of things that have happened in their lives that, that now mark them as a person. You really get to know people, don't you, when they begin to tell their story. The second thing I learned about this is not only the detail that the disciples describe their story of Jesus and a storm in a boat, but I also learned something else. It's not indefinite. And this is important. And what I mean by indefinite is this is not something vague. A storm is not something vague. It's not this undisclosed amount of time. Notice what Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, 35. Let's go to the other side. Jesus says, let's go to the other side. But what's interesting about this is he doesn't say it in an imperative, go, let's go. I want you to go and, and, and speak in an imperative as with this great certainty, let's go. But he uses the subjective, the subjective tense. And the subjective tense is the tense of possibility. 
And he uses this idea. And if you look at it literally, it literally means let's pass through. Let's pass through this event in our lives. And he uses the error subjective, which means it's a snapshot. Jesus is saying, what you're about to experience will one day look like a snapshot. And you're going to look back and see it as an event in your life that has now impacted you. But it's also in the subjunctive, subjunctive tense, which literally means the tense of possibility. There were great possibilities ahead of them. They didn't know the final outcome, but they knew the one who was speaking. Jesus was the possibility. Jesus became the possibility that they would get to the other side. See, there was another side. They knew that physically there was another side of the Sea of Galilee. They knew they were going in that direction. They didn't know what they were going to encounter on the way. The possibility lies that it could be lots of different things, but it's the one who spoke the possibility. There's a mystery behind what you go through. God doesn't reveal everything, every part of your difficulty. He's not going to tell you when it ends, but he says, let's go to the other side. There's a possibility. There's a mystery in it, and I'm the one speaking. Will you trust me? Can you believe that? Dr. Billy Graham recently passed away, and Mark Laberton is the president of Fuller Theological Seminary, where Dr. Graham was associated as he began his work in crusades in Los Angeles in the early 50s. And so he was called upon by NPR to tell a little story about Billy Graham in the early days. And, and he went back to the very beginning, just a few years prior to launching his crusades here in Los Angeles. And you know the rest of the story. But he dealt with a tremendous amount of uncertainty. And so he went up to Forest Home and he met a woman named Henrietta Mears. Henrietta Mears is this woman of faith that developed Christian education in many churches. And she, she championed Christian education from childhood all the way to adulthood. And had also had the opportunity to mentor many world leaders, Dr. Bill Bright and others. And Billy Graham was one of them that she inspired. And he remembers a time when uh, she spoke and he walked away and decided to take a walk in the woods. And he, it's called the tree stump prayer. And he's found a tree stump, put his Bible down, and he had it out with God. And he felt so uncertain about his ministry and what he was going to do. And it was in that moment of uncertainty that it says that, that it, Dr. Graham says that he put his Bible down and he came to realize the surety of God's word in his life. And this changed his life. He said these words, I don't understand, but I accept this as your word by faith. And that changed everything. When he realized it was the word of God, the promises of God, it was Jesus, the one using the subjunctive, Hey, there's a lot of possibilities ahead, but I'm the one speaking the greatest possibility. We're going forth. We're going to step out. When Dr. Graham realized it was Jesus and his word and his truth that was behind his ministry, he became one of the most powerful evangelists we've ever seen. He was called the American pa Pastor to America. He was called the American Pastor, Pastor of the Presidents. I mean, he had great authority wherever he went. Why? Because he had a confidence in the promises of God, not in the uncertainty of the storms that lie ahead. 
The third thing that I see in this passage is that the storm is painful. They really are painful. Mark 4.38, I see the pain in the disciples. It says, they, they call out and wake up the teacher. Teacher, don't you care? We are perishing. I mean, they felt the anxiety and the fear. Fear grips us, doesn't it? And it leads us often riddled with emotional pain, much like the blow to the body causes physical pain. The disciples were in this deep anxiety over their situation. It reminds me of Psalm chapter 44, verse 23, that says, Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and our oppression? C.S. Lewis, Lewis once said that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. Why does God have to shout in pain? I think the reason why is because we are so afraid that fear has drowned out the voice of God. I most certainly know that personally. I've come to realize that it is only in suffering and in pain that we decide what really is going to happen in our lives, whether we're going to press through and trust God, whether we're going to grow in character and develop deep faith or not. See, that's the watershed issue. When you go through a suffering event, when you're in a storm, when you feel the weight of pain, and it's all over you in your body, oftentimes what happens is it drowns out God's voice, and he needs to shout to you, this is the time that I want to speak to you most clearly. I remember my own pain, and I wondered what it was what was causing this pain, and we didn't know, and it was week after week after week. Several months into this, I wasn't sure, and the surgeon at that point scheduled surgery, said we need some more tests. We don't know. It could be a mask. It could be a lot of things. And what I came to realize is that this diverticulitis, diverticulitis, which is an infection in the colon, actually turned out to become a kind of a scar tissue issue. That the, the colon had hardened and had attached itself to the stomach muscles. What I realized is that there was this horrible pain that was caused by scar tissue. And it's some of the most painful scar tissue when it happens. It, it just causes a lot of pain. And I remember living in pain. At about four to five o'clock every afternoon, it would just kind of hit me. It just kind of hit me with a wave. And I don't know why it was that time of the day, but it was almost every day that I began to break down and begin to weep. A lot of depression, sadness, fear, anxiety, and just the, over, just the overwhelming feeling of pain that you can't get rid of, that you don't know why you have. I remember Denise rubbing my back or my massaging my neck or just holding me during some of these kind of these bouts of pain and these moments where I, I would call friends over just to be with me, to sit with me, to get me through the evening. God wants to use pain to lead us through our emotions. And I think untangle them. I think what happens is we get tangled up in our emotions and fear. God wants to untangle all that. As the disciples are sitting in this boat, why are we perishing? Why are you not doing something about this? They're, they're feeling it with full force. God wants in the middle of that to untangle the emotions 
in order to speak to us and make sense of it and to draw us closer to Him. The storm was an opportunity for growth. And I think oftentimes God allows us to remain in that pain to make us stronger, more resilient. Albert Camus said, In the depths of winter, I finally learned that within me there lay an invincible summer. See, there's another side. There is a summer coming, but we just don't feel it. We feel like we're right in the middle of it. Tim Hansel wrote a wonderful book called You Gotta Keep on Dancing. He experienced a mountaineering accident, fell, crushed his vertebrae, didn't know it, walked out, played tennis the next day, and then dropped. And he rushed into the hospital, MRI scans, realized that he had literally crushed his vertebrae and that his body would begin to deteriorate and he would experience arthritis and live with this acute sense of pain the rest of his life. And in his book, he realized that pain rearranges our dreams. You had a dream. You had a dream of your life and it would go this way and a storm comes and it totally changes and now you're in the midst of the pain. And you have to point, you have to begin to ask the question, God, why are you rearranging the dream of my life? What are you doing? You have to stop and ask the question, how are you feeling right now? Can you give it a name? Can you give your feeling a name? Is it anxiety? Is it the feeling of losing control? Is it sadness? Is it depression? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? And does it have a purpose in your life? Well, it does if we move to my fourth point, and that is, when you're in the midst of the storm, you have to realize it's uncontrollable. And there's a little bit of irony in this, because as you look at this passage, you realize, yes, they're in the middle of the storm, and the storm is raging, and it's uncontrollable. They can't stop the storm. And that was true of the Sea of Galilee, all of us in a, just in a sudden rage, the wind would pick up and the waves, and it would just totally change. I remember seeing the Sea of Galilee for the very first time in my own life and driving in the bus, a tour bus along the coast, and about in the afternoon, the wind picked up, boom, it hit. And it's just looks scary out there, and it's evening, and the storm is raging. And, and Jewish people understood that. But they also understood the fact that there's great fear out in the middle of the ocean. Not only for what's above the ocean, but what's below. They had no idea what was below. And it, it scared them to death to think that they might sink into the sea. And so there's this sense that it's uncontrollable. Only God can control the power of the storm. And sure enough, it says in this passage that Jesus is awakened now and he rises up. And he speaks and he says, hush, be still. Literally, be quiet and stay quiet. And it was loud and it was disturbing. It must have been a frightening experience. And in a moment, it all changed. It reminds me of a story I heard. Campus Crusade for Christ would hold these huge events, these crusade events for college students to bring them together and to, to, to motivate them to live for Christ. And in the 1970s, they held Explo, an Explo, which was this, which was this powerful event. And Dr. Bright would speak, who was the founder, and they would bring different speakers, and they would motivate the college students. And they're here, they are 80,000 college students in a coliseum. And they're all talking, and college students are having fun, and, and, and they're, they're excited, and there's noise. And Dr. Bright got up to speak, and, and nobody was listening. 
And then all of a sudden, Dr. Billy Graham was sitting on stage, and he was about to speak after Dr. Graham, after Dr. Bright, comes up to the microphone. And he looks out at everybody, nobody's looking. And he says, I want you to be quiet and sit down. And it was just reverberated through the Colosseum. And there was a hush over the entire Colosseum. And everybody became quiet and whole. Just everybody sat down and sat. Great authority. That was just, just a man. Just one man over a Colosseum of college students. And what we find here is Jesus who is Lord of the storm, looks out the storm and tells it to be quiet. Something uncontrollable becomes controllable by Jesus. But what's interesting about this and what's ironic is notice the disciples, fearful of the storm, the storm is quieted, and what does it say about the disciples? They became more afraid. They became much afraid. They were afraid in the storm. They became much afraid of the fact that Jesus had just calmed the storm. Something I've learned from Tim Keller, who wrote about this. He says, sometimes the help God provides is more terrifying than the problem you're going through. What I think he means by that it's often it's not the storm that's terrifying. It's the fact that you cry out, Jesus, calm the storm in my life. Would you bring some peace? Would you do something in this moment? And he does it. He shows up with a power and a force over nature and over life that's so powerful, it's terrifying. Because you've just invited a power greater than the storm into your life. See, the storm out there is raging, and you're afraid. But you've now just invited the one who masters and his power over the storm into your life, and he may mess with you. And that terrifies us, doesn't it? It challenges us. And when I find this passage, the disciples are asking the question, don't you care? Our primary question to Jesus in the middle of the storm is, why don't you care? Won't you care because... My Christian worldview tells me that if you really cared, I wouldn't have any problems. That if you really cared, I would get through this. That it wouldn't be in the subjective that there's a possibility. I know you, Jesus, you're going to get me through it, but you leave it in the possibility to make me trust you. But now you've calmed the storm. I believe that you should have just calmed it and just kind of leave me alone. That's my worldview. That's my Christian worldview. That somehow, if I stay in the middle of it, you don't care. And when I find this passage, is that Jesus is not asleep, he's just at rest. And there's a big difference. He was fully in control. And what he's saying is the, the crisis and the chaos and the wind and the storm in your life is compatible with God's compassion. And you need to change your worldview. You need to change your perspective of Jesus. But it's a frightening thought. It's scary that in the moment that Jesus shows up in your life and he brings some calm, he brings some restoration in your life, and everything is quiet for a moment, you're now terrified at the fact that he is in your life and he will begin to rearrange things, that I will look to him, that he now has complete full control over my life. 
I remember the day after surgery. The day after surgery, I woke up, and there was this sense of not only peace, that I was now out of pain, but the sense of awe that God had moved in my life, that Jesus had done something. He had calmed the storm in that moment, and I was now in his presence, and I was overwhelmed by his presence. I sensed it like I'd never sensed it before. And I was just in awe of the fact and almost terrified by the fact that this point forward, Jesus is going to be rearranging things in my life if I let him, if I allow him to. So there's one last thing that I want to mention in this passage. And here it is. It's an invitation. A storm is an invitation. It's an invitation to faith. Notice what Jesus says in Mark chapter 4. He says in verse 40, Why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? I like the Luke 8 version better. And in Luke chapter 8, Luke reports that Jesus says, Where is your faith? Oh, disciples, where is your faith? I know you have faith because you've seen me. You've seen me at work in your life. You've seen the miracles that I can do. I've gotten you to this place. I've gotten you this far in life. Where's your faith? And I think the invitation is an invitation to get out the faith that we have and apply it. Get your faith out. I think pain puts a finger on the things that we value most. It just drives its finger into the thing that we value most in life, whether it's comfort, or whether it's happiness, or whether it's money, or whether it's some pursuit, pain will put that finger into that, and we feel it. Because what's happening is our foundation, our spiritual foundation is being challenged. And Jesus says, here's the invitation. Get out your faith and apply it, because I'm rearranging your life, and you're going to need to trust me. And when you now move forward, you rely on the things that you know to be true about me. What do you know? We had dinner the other night and it was a, at our daughter's house, and our other daughter, her husband, came over and, and invited Hillary Winningham and Hillary and, and Pete are part of our church. And they, they usually tend the beach, and they just had a little baby, and, and uh, they're five weeks into this, and Pete had to go to a bachelor party for. Hillary's brother, and so he's off to Scottsdale, she's all alone for the first time. It's a frightening experience to be all alone with a five-week-old. I say five months, I meant five weeks. Seven weeks? Seven weeks. Five weeks, seven weeks. It's still got to be frightening. And you're all alone. And so she decides to pack the baby up and bring literally three-minute drive. As soon as she gets in the car, Emma begins to just scream. And it's one of those storms, those moments where the storm hits. And, you know, it's the first time that Emma's in the back and she's in the front. There's no Pete. And and so everything's different and she's all alone. And you you know where you've been there before. And and she did it. She got over. She had to stop. She had to pull over, feed Emma, and then got, you know, got back in the car and drove three minutes. And there she was. And, and, she did it. She made it. We can do this. And that night she packed up and, 
with a lot more confidence to start with this. She's going to get home. It's a four-minute drive. She's going to make it. She's going to make it. But oftentimes, it doesn't feel that way. I've been there before. I don't know if I can do this. And yet, when you begin to rely on the faith that God has already given you, you begin to see it grow. Faith is not something that you just hold on to in your mind, and you just hold on to it as a concept. You apply it. You live it out. I can do this. I'm going to take a step forward. And it's one day at a time. I remember the day before surgery. It was on January 15th. I didn't think I'd make it to that day. The surgeon told me it's going to take several weeks to get, get us ready to this point. I'm like, I can't go another day like this. I mean, in fear and anxiety and pain, I didn't know whether I could just keep going. How am I going to get there? One day followed another day, followed another day, followed another day. Anguish, hardship, difficulty, struggle, no question. And yet when I look back January 15th, I went, oh my goodness, tomorrow's the day. I can't believe I made it to this day. Jesus is saying, well, get out your faith. Tomorrow, get out your faith. I need you to have more faith. I want you to apply the faith that I've already given you because you've made it to this day. You're going to make it to another day because I'm in the boat and I'm the one who can call the storm. Will you? Will you listen? Will you follow me? It's an invitation. C.S. Lewis in Grief Observed says, God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. He knew it already. It was I who didn't. In this trial, losing his own wife, he makes us occupy the dock, the witness box, and the bench all at once. He always knew that my temple was a house of cards. His only way of making me realize the fact was to knock it down. I think what I've realized is I've just encountered a recent storm in my own life. Jesus is at work knocking down a house of cards. See, I knew. I, I, I believe. I've walked with God to this point, but yet I still have somehow assembled a house of cards, a structure that cannot bear weight, that will fall over in the first sign of a tremor. Because I've relied on other things other than my confidence in God. Jesus just brought it all back down. And now he's rebuilding. It's called faith. And so the invitation is the worship team comes out as we head towards a not a communion, but I want to head towards a prayer time. We're not going to have communion tonight, but what I want to do is we lead out in some worship. I want us to be able to just get up, and I want to connect. I want you to connect with each other. I want you to go to the sides, the aisles here, and uh, just let people pass. And as we stand up, some people may just want to congregate and pray for one another. Let's just move to the aisles, or let's stand right here in the middle, and let's pray for one another. I guarantee you there's somebody sitting around you that's either in a storm or has gone through a storm. Maybe they've just gone through one. Maybe everything's great, but guess what? It's not going to stay great. Storms are never great. So where's our faith? See, sometimes things have to be broken down and built back up. So let me pray. Father,
I know you've called on us to get out the faith that you've given us to get us to this point. And so, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that we would begin this morning the process of letting things go, abandoning false ideas and false presuppositions about who you are. And we would just lay ourselves at your feet. As you stand up and speak to the storm in our life, be quiet, hush. I want to speak to my servant. I want to speak to the one I love. Would you speak now into us? And will we listen? And will we be able to, in this time of reflection, be able to encourage and hear others in their pain and to pray together? So let's worship together. Great unknown 